Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get crunk. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. Kane's cartel coming through. Tell me what these other teams gonna do. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. It's Monday night, January 20th, 2020. I got Kelvin Harris. Our longtime friend, three-time national champion, and resident Miami Hurricanes diehard, as well as producer Mike Zimmerman, who not only has produced a boatload of shows for The Athletic, but he knows everything about the Canes, keeps track of everything going on the internet, helps me out a ton. I'm very happy to have both of you guys here, especially on a night where I feel vindicated. You know, I mean... I reported and broke the story on uh, Derek King coming to Miami. It had a lot of haters out there, a lot of people just, you know, looking to make me look bad. And I'm here today to say I got the story right, and I got it first. Kelvin, you were listening to me all day yesterday, sort of uh, sweat. As the story progressed, because, you know, there were some people in Coral Gables who weren't happy that I broke that story. Um, what were your thoughts and observations listening to me yesterday? Well, honestly, I had already planned to give out your address if it went bad. And, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, you, you, you know, you got to jump off the bus, you know, before it crashes. So, you know, I was fully prepared to give out your address, uh, model and make of your car, and I put a bolo so that fans, and I'd also had a thing typed up that if it did if it did go bad where the fans were told that you were going to be at a location and to bring tomatoes and eggs <laughs> so they could get vindication but no you know i mean obviously there were some things that you know we both knew that we knew he was coming but you know i don't know for whatever reason you know it's just it's, it's everybody's got a brand i uh, I just think, you know, there was a time, I mean, you know, he got, got back. I don't know. It's just one of those things where, I won't say it's miscommunication. It's just, I don't know, maybe the kid wanted the grand interest. But uh, the kid's a good kid, and I just knew he wasn't not going to come. You know? So I figured, you know, it wouldn't be a problem. But our fans have been, you know, we've got a lot of fans there that, that have been that, that, runner-up prom date so um you know i think a lot of people expect the worst because of the last decade and a half right so and you were easy target of course you always kill the messenger i mean that's the way it is in miami you don't you don't attack anybody else but the messenger which hey the messenger is an easy easy win yeah, I mean, some of my favorites, I went back and I actually liked them on Twitter. I put, uh, can somebody tell Manny to shut the F up? Uh, local media is just as bad as the program. Apparently, all of your sources suck, literally every single one of them out there. Um, I tried to wish people a happy uh, MLK day, and somebody wrote, is this a lie like your last tweet? Followed by, bitch, we can't trust you and your sources. <laughs> nice accuracy on the King Report. Kid will end up elsewhere now. And 
You need to be in the market for another line of work, or at the very least, some real sources. Nothing, nothing like fake-ass news by Manny Navarro. And so in rushing to be first, you went with an unverified hunch. I mean, they just kept piling on and on. Uh, Mike Zimmerman, were you worried for me? Were you scared I was wrong? Uh, Manny, I'm never worried. When I, whenever you've got your sources, I'm never worried. I, I, I know you're, you're rock solid. I appreciate that. What What are your thoughts on this story, this development for the Hurricanes? Enough about me and breaking the story. I know people are probably rolling their eyes. Um, for, from your perspective, a team perspective, what do you think of this? I mean, I, I think it's it's exactly what they needed after such a, a terrible year offensively. I think, you, you, first of all, you bring in Rhett Lashley, spread offense, you know, very high octane. Then you bring in the, the perfect kind of quarterback for that scheme in De'Eric King, who can throw the ball, can run the ball. He's just electric with the ball in his hands. Um, but I, I would like to see other parts of the offense start to develop because King's only going to be here for one season. And... You know, he can only do so much. So as good as this is for the Canes offense, mm-hmm. I still want to see the rest of the offense develop with him. I'm with you. And and really, Kelvin, you know, Mike's talking about how, you know, there's so much more development that's sort of needed. It's great to get Derek King here. He's going to have a pretty good 2020 season, I think, by, by most standards. I mean, really, if he had gone to the SEC West like Arkansas or LSU, it would have been painful for him because he would have been playing – elite teams every single week by coming to the coastal i think he's going to thrive and i think ultimately that's probably why he picked miami um it's a place where he can shine just the same way that bryce perkins did last year for virginia um so in the end i think miami was the best fit for him but the bigger picture i mean ultimately this buys another year for tyler van dyke and whoever the quarterback of the future is maybe it's the guy they signed in 2021 um, to take over this program and run Rhett Lashley's offense. I think, you know, the big in the big picture, whether Rhett Lashley's here beyond 2020 and 2021, I think Miami's going to the spread permanently here as long as Manny Diaz is in charge. And by getting Derek King, you now show other spread quarterbacks over the next year that, hey, um, we've changed. This is the kind of offense we want to run, and I think you're going to start to attract – a lot more modern day modern day type quarterbacks. I mean, imagine Lamar Jackson in high school seeing De'Eric King run Miami's offense. Does he end up at Miami then? I don't know. I would tend no. to think so. You disagree, Kevin? I'm gonna tell you why. Okay. If we'd have been running the spread with Brad back then, Lamar still wouldn't have came. You know why? Go ahead, tell me. Because Lamar wanted to start as a freshman, and he wouldn't have started in front of Brad. That's that, true. That was, that that is the reason why he didn't come. But Brad probably wouldn't have been the quarterback if we were running the spread. Are you kidding me? Brad would be up for the Heisman. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, from a running perspective, I mean, kind of the offense they want to run. It, well, listen, that that whole running thing. Let me tell you something. A kid like Brad Kaya and the kind of offense they want to run. He would have ran up about 5,000 yards because I get, you know, the whole running concept because that's what, you know, he had, you know, uh, Malzahn had a lot of that at um, Auburn. But Shane Broussel 
wasn't a runner. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe Burrow was athletic. He wasn't a runner. Right. The thing that made Joe Burrow and the LSU offense so potent was Joe Burrow's mind and his arm. So, Brad Kaya's mind and arm and that off and, you know, the type of offense that, um, you know, Lashley is running. Actually, to be honest with you, let me put it this way. Mark Rick basically ran a spread, but with no, with, 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 a, with a subpar offensive line play. So, if Brad would have had B, B-plus offensive line play, we never even get to this point because he would have knocked it out of the box because when he had weapons, you know, in Herndon, Berrios, Amon Richards, they were effective. You know, there was a four-game stretch where, you know, he went through a low, but most of that was because they couldn't protect the guy. But when you could protect the guy that could throw the ball, you, and, 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 and even though King can run, that's not why I'm excited and why I just, by the way, texted, I tweeted out, you know, uh, King for Heisman. Uh, and Miami 12 and 0 is because <laughs> well the, the exact tweet was uh, new offensive coordinator new offense new old line coach we're about to get a new wide receiver new quarterback a lot of new stuff but the same expectations 12 and 0 and King in New York City for the Heisman ceremony that's the exact tweet but no the thing that's going to make King special in this offense is his accuracy and the threat of him to run if you, like, in the passing game. Not in the running game, but I'm talking about you're blitzing. You blitz, mm-hmm. you know, you come with a five-man or six-man blitz, and you don't cover every gap, and you leave just a smidget of a hole. But you're in man coverage now, so you know what happens. He takes off. Mm-hmm. and. Nicosi had great has great instincts in the pocket for when to run and when to run and throw, but he doesn't have this dude's uh, wheels, and this dude is a, little, a lot quicker. So you got a Kyler Murray type kid playing for us now. Right. Well, let me ask you because Mike's Mike's point was: Do you think this is just a band aid? In other words, no. It, I think this is a bridge to what we needed to be what, what we expected to be because you know we're bringing in Quincy Roach at defensive end to go with Jay, uh, Gregory Russo and then that gives us a five man rotation at defensive end that no one in the country can match so as long as Nesta improves and Ford improves and Jordan Miller keeps coming like he is inside um and Blades and Ivy will improve, and the set, you know the safeties. You know we got all those guys back. Uh, McLeod stabilizes the linebacker position. Uh, defensively, we're in a great position. Now the one thing that worries me is when you run a spread offense like this, you leave your defense exposed if you don't uh, hold the ball. But I think. If you've ever watched Auburn's offense, it's not a, you know, they don't do a lot of three and outs because they run the ball, they try and control the clock a little bit, and they go fast, but there's elements to it. And I think 
this would be a great balance because he's not just going to leave the defense out there. And that's one of the reasons why Mike Leach will never win anything because all he cares about is offense. You know, you run this spread up offense to score points, but you can't leave your defense on the field. So it has to be comfortable in football, and I think we'll be okay with that. By the way, um, you know, I want to wrap up the conversation, dear King. I just want to get to a couple of points. Um, this is I asked Jason Starrett, uh, one of our college football editors, to look up where Derek King ranks in terms of efficiency, you know, touchdown, interception ratio, etc. This is what he got back to me. I'm just going to throw out some of these stats. And these are all provided per Sports Info Solutions if people are wondering where we're getting it from. Derek King has been really efficient in his time as Houston's quarterback. His five career TD to interception ratio, meaning 5.0, is the sixth best in FBS among players with at least 50 touchdown passes since 2016. The only players that were better, Tua Tagovailoa, Joe Burrow, Dwayne Haskins, Baker Mayfield, and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I was saving that one for the write-up in The Athletic, but I had to share it on the podcast when I saw it because I was like, wow, I mean, this guy's really good. And then... Even though he threw a high percentage of his passes uh, within five yards of the line of scrimmage in Houston's offense, he did have success when he was asked to stretch the field. Um, In terms of completion percentage, 76% from five yards in, 13 touchdowns, two interceptions. 57% from six to 15 yards downfield, 16 touchdowns, five interceptions. And then over 16 yards downfield, which is about an average of 24% of his passes overall. He completed only 43%, but 21 touchdowns, three interceptions. The man can throw the ball down the field and have success. And that's what I think they're going to do in this offense with guys like Mark Pope, with guys like D. Wiggins, stretch the field and then let Derek King eat with Cam Harris and you know Don Chaney Jr. Uh, in the run game. Well, well, the thing about it is the key to this whole thing is now, you know, I know all the fans are excited because they say, well, it simplifies everything for the receivers in a way it does. Yeah, the terminology, because there ain't no huddle, but um, there still has to be um, some, 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 some football IQ involved. Oh, well, first of all, you got to get off the jam. Mm-hmm. And second of all, you got to get separation and run routes. So um, one of the biggest things you see with um, these spread offenses is in a lot of a lot of these conferences uh, outside the SEC and ACC is you see what they call cover four quarters coverage, where all four of the DBs have a quarter of the back, uh, you know, and they play off. Well, one of the things you see in the ACC and the SEC is they're in your face and they play press. And there's a lot of and, – and, you know, Lewis Reddick talked about it yesterday in the pregame uh, show on ESPN about one of the things you got to do with Kansas City's receivers was put your hands on them. Because nowadays, for whatever reason, DB coaches aren't teaching uh, press and get your hands on it. Everyone's so afraid that – if you miss the jam, the guy's going to beat you. Well, if you let a guy that runs a 4-3 off the line and run by you, you're already beat. So 
one of the things we have to do, because we're going to see some good DBs in the ACC, is we got to get off this jam. And um, we we got, we got to run better routes. We got to create more separation. But the thing that may help them is this. Derek, Derek King's threat to run the ball in passing situations like yesterday with Patrick Mahomes is um, is, a, is a real threat. And this also helped the running game uh, because I think uh, Justice is going to emphasize uh, run blocking. Mm-hmm. So the whole offense has gotten better. And look, full disclosure, um, I've known about this kid since he was in the eighth grade because I lived in Houston. And my my closest friend in Houston, one of my closest, well, yeah, I guess we said my closest friend and uh, one of my teammates from the World League who happened to work for the Texans and was a high school teammate of they were all high school teammates of Eric King, who is D.R. King's dad. So I had heard all the stories, and when he was in Manville, I had to hear this shit about him all the time. And the kid was damn good. Mm-hmm. So I've seen this kid. You know, a matter of fact, I sent him a message at night, you know, telling him, you know, hey, I know you, these, these these friends of your fathers, I know them. And, you know, I told him, hey, I expect you to take us to the promised land because that's what the expectation is. I mean, he didn't come here to be average, and we didn't bring him here for us to be average. So, I mean, I get you know the Band-Aid part, but this is what we were expecting to get from Jalen Hurts last year because KJ, KJ Osborne brought leadership in the, in the wide receiver room to some extent. This guy brings leadership not only to the quarterback room, to the entire offense because this is the dude who is about his business and so he's about his business you got to be about your business you saw that with Jalen Hurts Oklahoma you're going to see it here with him one thing I'll say before I uh, kick it to my buddy Mike Zimmerman here um, I know everybody's looking like well he played in the American Athletic Conference what you know what's he going to do against power five teams in terms of power five opponents and I wrote this in my story Sunday King's numbers aren't just inflated. Um, Oklahoma, Washington State, Arizona, and Texas, Texas Tech. Those are the four Power 5 teams he played. He completed 74 of his passes, uh, of 136 passes for 54.4% completion percentage, 972 yards, 12 touchdowns, no interceptions. So he doesn't make mistake against Power 5 teams. He also ran for 275 yards and three scores. Yes, Houston went one and three in those games, but still, it's not like this guy is all of a sudden going to go up to the ACC and, 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 you know, crap the bed. I think he's proven in the past in his two years as a starting quarterback that, you know, he can handle the pressure of playing better teams, and he played well against Oklahoma. Yeah, he, he ran for 100 yards um, against Oklahoma. Mike, your your final thoughts on the quarterback situation discussion we just had. So I, I think that there's no need to worry about the whole level of competition because let, let, let's be real. The ACC Coastal and the ACC in general outside of Clemson, is it really much better than the AAC or, or a group of five conference? No. It's really not. So you, you can't make that comparison and saying, uh, you know, Derek King's not going, you know, we're not sure what he's going to do against Power 5. 
because it's the ACC, and that's, that's a stretch. It's not like he's playing in the SEC West where he's got Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M on the schedule. You're going up against a pretty soft schedule in the ACC Coastal, so I don't think there's anything to worry about there. All right, so obviously, you know, I reported this was happening on Sunday. It finally gets announced today in the afternoon. Derek King goes to Twitter and, you know, puts out the little graphic of him in a Hurricanes jersey, and um, the story will continue in Coral Gables. Happy for him, happy for Manny Diaz. But then at night, even though I wasn't allowed to report this because I promised Miami coaches I wouldn't, I knew it was coming. Quincy Roche, 13 sacks last season at Temple. Um, he also joins Miami's transfer uh, class, so to speak, with Jose Borregales and De'Ara King. And now he's going to form probably the best tandem in college football from a pass rushing perspective with Gregory Rousseau. You, I know you touched on it a little bit earlier on, Kelvin, but does Miami now have the best defensive line yes. in the country next year? Yes. And that's I it. Mean, Simple. <laughs> well, the one thing I need to see is uh, I need to see Nesta uh, up his game from a pass rush standpoint. I need to see Nesta, Ford. I saw glimpses of it out of Jordan Miller, but I need to see those three guys because they're going to be the main three in the rotation. I need to see them create pass rush because I know we like to run this prowler defense where you do the three guys, three down line, and then you know you you get the the, the, the linebacker uh, as the fourth uh, rush guy or down lineman or lineman rather. But we need to get back to the point where we can rush four and play coverage with seven, you know, whether it be, you know, faking blitzes, whatever. But we need to be able to generate pass rush inside from our tackles or if need be, go to a NASCAR package, which I've um, mentioned this to Patchen uh, a lot. You know, I told him that he needs to, um, you know, keep pestering about letting him play inside on pass downs, you know, and now it will be interesting because um, with these guys, I'd love to see uh, those four guys, uh, you know, uh, Russo, Roche, Patchen, and Jalen Phillips on the field at the same time in third and long situations. Because there's no way you're going to double team anybody. No. You're going to have to keep a running back in. You're going to have to keep a tight end in. I mean, this is going to be really advantageous if these guys are healthy and playing to the level that you expect them to. I mean, ideally, I mean, Jalen Phillips was the number one high school player in the country in 2017. Obviously had the series of concussions and, you know, the injury at UCLA. But if he can return to, to top form and he's basically spent a year getting healthy, getting in great physical shape, uh, keeping his body away from contact, I mean, if that guy is playing like the number one high school player in the country, like he once was, and you got him, Greg Rousseau, and Roche coming after quarterbacks, are you kidding me? I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And I know people are going to say, how can Miami be number one in the country at anything? They were 6-7 and seven last year. But, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of NFL interest this coming season to see what this unit does. Let me, let me ask you a question, Manny. If we have Borgales last year, what is our record? Oh, it's at least two or three wins better. 
Yeah, I mean. First of all, he's not beating you with FIU. <laughs> well, let's look at it. If we have him against Florida, do we win that game? Most likely. If we have him against Carolina, do we win that game? No doubt. Virginia Tech. Yeah, it, you don't miss the extra point at the end of that game. Yeah. Georgia Tech. Yeah, no doubt. Doesn't he make it overtime? So that's four games right there. And like you said, we if we, we if we got him against FIU, he doesn't beat us, so that's five. So we're eleven and one. Well, and then let's just be honest. If if we came into the Duke game ten and one, eleven and zero, do we lose the Duke? No. So just the kicker alone. By getting Borgales, we're already two games better. Like right now, just even if even if Derek King didn't come, we're eight and four next year with Borgales. Mike, what's your take on all this? Are we all getting way way in front of ourselves by saying Miami has the best defensive line in the country? I I think we're getting ahead of ourselves in terms of saying Miami would have been an eleven and one team with a <laughs> kicker. Um, in terms of Roche and Rousseau being the best pass rushing tandem, I think in terms of this past season's production, I don't think there's any way to argue that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's whether or not they can they can duplicate that. And if they can, I think there's no reason that this Miami defense can't be top five in the entire country. Those two alone make everybody's jobs easier. I, I think it, it makes the interior defensive linemen get one-on-one matchups. You had mentioned it forces uh, opposing teams' offenses to either put an extra tight end in or have the running back stay in the backfield chip. It's It, it, it just makes everything a whole lot easier. And if Jalen Phillips can come in healthy and, and contribute, I, I think Miami's pass rush is is certainly upgraded. And it, all, it kind of reminds me of um, just a few years ago, with Joe Jackson and and, and Garvin, I think mm-hmm. that that really gave them an advantage on that Kane's defense a couple of years ago, and I think it even has the potential to be better than that. You know, it's funny the, the jump that Miami has made since Manny Diaz has been here, at least as a defense. It, it really can't be understated. I mean, you go back to Mark D'Onofrio and how little they were getting to the opposing quarterback. Um, Miami, in the last four years since Manny Diaz arrived. 46 sacks in 2019, seventh most in the country. 40 in 2018, that was 11th. 44 in 2017, that was fourth. And then 37 in his first year in 2016, they were 22nd. I mean, the bottom line is this is how Manny Diaz has success as a defensive coordinator and defensive coach. And now you've basically gone out and and added a top 10 pass rusher who is – going to take some pressure off of Greg Russo. I mean, I think Kelvin's point about you can't double any of these guys, that's really what's most important, and that's what makes teams like Alabama and Clemson and LSU elite as far as defenses because they have so many good players up front that cause problems and put pressure on the opposing quarterback that it totally disrupts what the offense does. Now, will De'Ara King at quarterback and – you know, this defensive line all of a sudden somersault Miami into a top 10 team nationally. I'm not ready to go there yet. I got to see the spring. I got to see what they do early next season. But um, I think it certainly makes them potentially the favorites to win the Coastal and get to the ACC title game. And I think 
Um, you know, if the wide receiver receiver position gets a lot better, which I think it will with Jeremiah Payton and Michael Redding and, you know, some of the guys that they've added. Um, yeah, I mean, this is going to be what you need to be a very good team. And what we saw happen today was really important for Manny Diaz. It can't be understated. It's one thing to go out, hire a new offensive coordinator, switch the offense, uh, bring in a new offensive line coach. But unless you bring new bodies in to execute it on the field, I mean, you're still counting on the guys who let you down last year that are coming back to change. And I'm not sure that some of these guys have that change inside of them. So I understand your point, Mike, about the Band-Aid and, you know, are we just covering up problems? I think what Manny's doing here is he's buying time for his incoming recruiting class and the guys that were redshirted last year to grow into you know, roles that they can now handle in 2021 and 2022. So, no, Miami's problems aren't fixed, um, but they're on the right path. And I think, you know, we'll see what he does with the wide receiver uh, coach. You know, obviously, Taylor Stubblefield left for Penn State, which <laughs> I know internally, uh, you know, I heard from some players that, you know, they thought he was kind of lame. Personally, Taylor was great every time I had to deal with him, but I think there's definitely something to is a coach a Miami coach? Can he translate in terms of personality and get the respect of the guys that he's coaching? And I think this next hire is going to be important because to me, receiver is still the one position on this team when I look at it and I say, where's the true number one? Who's the guy that you're really – expecting to break out and be the star and there's no proven guys coming back that make me feel that way Kelvin uh, yeah, I agree well I think the receiving position the wide receiver coach is going to come down to one of four people um, the lead dog I think right now is probably Trooper Taylor because of his um, familiarity with the scheme mm-hmm and him having worked with um, Leslie Auburn. And then you got Lamar, who is an alumni favorite, a lot of alumni, a lot of boosters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some fans, there's still some fans who are upset about FIU and some fans who, you know, uh, you know, point out some things that happened in Kentucky. Um, thing that he brings to the table is he's a great technician coach, technical coach. And he also can provide some insight with game planning because of his time with Petrino and his time in the SEC. Um, full disclosure, Lamar is a friend of mine. <laughs> you know, I've obviously known this guy since, well, actually, now that I think about it, I took, I was Lamar's recruiting notes. <laughs> so, um, you know, we go way back. But, you know, one of the things that I paid attention to, because um, he's had some free time on his hands this past year, wasn't coaching college, and we, you know, watching UM games, and, um, where, you know, plays happen, and, and we talk about what happened in that play, and, you know, I'm like, what, what the hell are they doing with this coverage? And he, like, I'll give you a prime example. Every UM fan, and including the dudes who do the little 
things on social media with the the, the film um, breakdown. Uh, yeah, film breakdown. We ran into the boundary a few times, and you saw Clemson do it in uh, the championship game. And we did this. This happened one game, and I was like, Man, "What the hell?" We. And he's like. And he explained to me, he says, well, that's an automatic check in a lot of these offenses. There's a key that they're looking at, the offensive coordinator. When they line up in that formation, there is a key that they're looking at, whether it be the linemen or the safeties, the numbers on that side of the field, that is an automatic check to run into the bounce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then we went into discussions and he, you know, looked at that guy. And then we talked, you know, we talked about the air raid offense and all this. So what I'm, I guess what short, long story short is from a X's and O's standpoint, he fits into what we're trying to do and he can add something to it from a coaching standpoint of teaching how to get off jams, uh, you know, how to create separation and stuff catching with your hands he adds something to the table and then two other areas um every day that those wide receivers walk into that room he's on the wall yep and he's gonna let them know that they're not better than him right and so you know you brought this up that you had talking talked to a couple players and they said something about the credibility yeah of of Taylor um, stuff who, who had he coached well to be perfectly honest none of our receivers could really ever, should, should ever question anybody's credentials especially honestly Taylor Stubblefield as a player mm-hmm. he holds the NCAA record he caught 142 passes by the way from Drew Brees right. at Purdue so the guy knows how to catch footballs now his career as a coach has been more of a journeyman type situation. He's bounced around. He's never been any place more than two years. Most of the time, he's been one. And he really didn't fit a program. I think is a perfect fit for Pittsburgh, or excuse me, Penn State. And I think he'll do well there. Um, Lamar, on the other hand, is a perfect fit for our program because he has the cachet that we're going to respect for the guys. And I got to be honest with you. He's going to talk to them the way they need. What you just said, he is a Miami kid coach. Mm-hmm. Him and Kevin Beard. And that would be the third guy, Kevin Beard, who fits the same mantra as, um, excuse me, has the same mantra as, as Lamar. Uh, and then there's the dark horse, David Cooney, right. who is the head of recruiting right now. And was the quality control coach for Ron Dugans when he was the receivers coach and it was the head coach at Southridge. So he, he's been a, you know, he, he hasn't been the head guy as a, a receivers coach, but he's been the head guy as a coach and he's the head guy of recruiting. So he is, he's been in a position where he's had to lead the meetings and, you know, get his message across to young men and I think because Wiggins and Pope are two of his former players that would make the transition easier for him the one area the two areas that I'm um I don't I don't know the answer to is how well of a coach a technique coach is he and how quickly can he pick up this new offense so that he can 
Right. Well, I mean, look, I, I you know, I think Cooney's going to end up being the guy, not because I want him to be the guy per se. I mean, I like David Cooney as far as a person, but um, I just think, you know, Manny's probably going to have some pressure to, you know, reward some of the guys in his department. Uh, his recruiting department. You know, there's some guys who could be leaving there for other jobs and so forth. And this is probably a good way to to show, hey, you know, I'm I'm willing to promote guys who work hard for me, etc. But that said, whoever he hires as coach, he's got a tough job in front of him because he's got to get these receivers to perform better, be more consistent, and and like you said, to play more physical at the line of scrimmage. I mean. This offense is pretty much predicated on getting the ball out quickly. And these guys, there were so many times last year where I felt like Jaron Williams or Nikosi Perry were getting sacked and receivers still had their back to them. You know, they weren't turning around looking for the ball. Um, It just felt like, and this is probably a big reason why Dan Enos just wasn't a good fit here. Um, Those guys look lost and they got to, they got to know what they're doing in this spread attack, and I think they will. It's going to be simplified from what I've heard compared to what Enos was doing. Well, that's the thing that kind of disturbs me. You know, and as a fan base, it's disturbing that they're excited about the simplicity of it. Football, yeah, you know, it's simple in its nature, but here's the reality of it, and I need you guys to understand and process this. Andy Reid, runs the exact same terminology as Dan Enos. Mm-hmm. So, basically, and, oh, hold on, the Chicago Bears, the Green Bay Packers to some extent, um, Mike, uh, Kyle Shanahan, it, it's the West Coast offense. Yesterday, I'm listening to the Kansas City Chiefs when they had the mic on, uh, Patrick Mahomes and I heard him call three jets something and I'm like oh I knew right away now uh, Andy Reid because of Eric Bieniemy, has kind of shortened up his terminology just a little bit but it's still complicated but the problem I have with this well we're going to simpler just because you're in the spread doesn't mean it's simple because there's Option, you know, pre-snap reads, and there's 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 choice routes. You know what I'm saying? You gotta, you know, you can't be dumb and be on this field, and you have to put in the work as far as watching film. And one of the things uh, when I talk back to King, I'm gonna tell him he needs to force his receivers to watch film with him. Mm-hmm. It is a must. He needs to have. Two sessions he needs to have a week. He needs to have a personal film session with the offensive line, and he needs to have a personal film session with the backs and receivers. I mean, because these guys ain't going to do it on their own. Yep. So it needs to be forced. And it seems like to me they found a loophole how to get around the test because Enos and Barry were giving tests. I don't know. I don't know if some of it was, but I know from – first-hand knowledge that, you know, the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator was giving the quarterbacks, you know, film, homework, and so was the offensive line coach. Well, they shouldn't have to give you fucking homework. You should want to go watch films of the people. I mean, you know, the one thing I like the kids said to me, this is a business. 
This is a business trip. This is a mission. He's on a mission. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about King. So, ain't gonna be no flim flam going on. You know, his, his daddy is about that business. This kid is about that business. That's why I think this is more than just a band-aid. This is what I call a bridge because this helps Tyler Van Dyke, like you said, red, he can red shirt, he can learn, he can see how uh, a, a power five quarterback guides his team and leads his team. And him and I expect to see him and King watching film together a lot. Well, I hope so. I hope that uh, between what Red Lashley does, what Derek King brings, that this receiver room, I mean, you're going to have Brevin Jordan, who's going to be getting a lot of attention. He's going to be a first-round pick next year. Um, those receivers, there's no reason for them not to thrive in this system. And I think it's just a matter of focus and coaching and getting them to understand that without them being on top of their game, uh, they're going to put a lot more pressure on Brevin Jordan and Derek King to be great. And I think, you know, there's talent in that room. They just got to get it out, and they got to bring it out every Saturday. All right, any final points, Mike Zimmerman, as we wrap up? Uh, no, I, I think that – I think we covered it all. I, I do believe that King will help them uh, even after he's gone uh, to sort of uh, maybe teach this – teach a spread offense to these guys who have, you know, never played in one. I think that's one of the things that, that I believe – uh, will happen that that I think that he'll kind of help transition the whole roster at least on the offensive side into I guess the new age spread offense that that we haven't seen here at Miami. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, final thoughts, Kelvin, as we wrap up. Well, uh, it was a, it was a big it was a big weekend and a big day for the University of Miami. Uh, this is the building blocks to getting us back to being competitive. For championships, uh, whether it be conference, uh, you know, division, conference, even national titles, um, we took the first step, and I think all those people, I think this kind of also vindicates Blake James as well, because one of the things that everybody said was, man, he needs someone to oversee him as far as changing the culture of the program and helping him with recruiting because he's in over his head. So what has he done? He's gone out and got a quarterback that will help change the culture. He's gone out and gotten another pass rusher to help change the culture. Well, excuse me, keep the culture up on defense. He's brought in a great hire as offensive line coach. He's brought in a great hire as offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Um, and he brought in a bunch of exciting and talented, uh, high caliber, high character recruits, 13 of which were in early, four of which on the first day they were here were already throwing and catching from each other. What was the reason we needed a GM for? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it really makes the Alonzo Highsmith stuff, uh, just seem, I don't know, a little ridiculous. You have to let your head coach work. And I think you and I always saw that as the bottom line. And, you know, in the end, I don't blame Alonzo Highsmith for anything. He just wants to see this program succeed. And his interest, I think, was solely, well, if you can create a position where I can have a real impact, I'll take it. But that yeah. never that never came about. And so, 
look, he just wants to see Miami win, you know? And, and the, the thing about it is, Manny, is that Blake has called and asked him for help, you know, for advice on certain things, and he and Manny have talked, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it's like, it's not like, you know, there's a wall between him and the administrate at the, uh, the, 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 the program. Mm-hmm. Listen, Alonzo over the last two years has been at at least four, four to six of our home games, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and, and, and I know this because he's in the player suite. <laughs> he doesn't go in the scouting box. He's in the player suite. We, you know, we intermingle mm-hmm. and, you know, he's given his, you know, he's, Giving his advice, he's giving his opinion. He's an opinionated guy. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, he's, you're right, he's just like all of us. When we're in that suite, man, it's like either we're high fiving each other because we're whooping somebody's ass or we're talking in a very upset manner about what's going on and why it's happening and what we need to do to correct it. So, I mean, Mike Rump feels the same way. He's an alumni. DVD, even though he's not on the field, he's a, he feels the same way. I mean, look, Manny Diaz feels the same way. I mean, he learned from, you know, this past year. He's made adjustments. That's what you want your coach to do. It, And I keep saying this to you uh, uh, when we talk sometimes. Uh, this eerily, this is eerily similar to the five and six season Butch had. I mean, the fans were coming for Butch's throat. Butch took two steps back, made some adjustments. He made more adjustments the year after that. And then we came up with the run from 2000 to 2002, which, by the way, is still the longest consecutive win streak modern day. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, I'm not saying we're going to win a national title next year, but I think over the next three years, we can win a national title. We'll see. We'll see. I I know today was a big day, man, and I agree with you, Kelvin. Listen, thanks for coming on the podcast. Same to you, Mike Zimmerman. I know you do a great job producing the show every single time. I don't know about that. (laughs) He's been giving... He's been giving Jaron Williams FIU-type performances lately. (laughs) (laughs) Well... I listen, man. I really appreciate you both coming on. It was a big day for UM, and big I hope day for you, Manny. Well, beat your chest, man. Come on, man. Beat your chest one more time. Nah, man. I'm gonna walk out with my head high, the same way I came in, brother. <laughs> All right, man. That wraps it up for the Wide Ride Podcast. We'll be back the next time we have some big news to react to. See ya. Kane's cartel coming through. Tell me what these other teams gonna do. Orange or green on the screen. Hit with a full head of steam.